Welcome to Ice Town Clowns, a podcast reviewing every episode of NBC's Parks and Recreation. I'm Katie. I'm Jacob. And the bomb is full of confetti. <laughs> and that's Kirk. And this week we're reviewing season two, episode 13, The Setup. This episode originally aired January 14th, 2010. It was directed by Troy Miller and written by Kate Diplod. Diopold? I don't know. Uh, and the summary is, Anne sets Leslie up on a blind date with a rude MRI technician, and Mark becomes jealous because he thinks Anne saves another prospect for Leslie for herself. There's a lot of clauses in this summary, BT dubs. Uh, meanwhile, Tom helps Ron find an assistant. Let's all take a moment and respect the work done by those honorable commas in that summary. Yeah. Holding yeah, yeah, that yeah. run-on sentence together through sheer force of will. I don't know yeah. that they did. I think they gave their lives so that we may go on. I'm going to be <laughs> honest. I'm not sure there were any commas well, in the actual written-down version of it. I think I added them naturally, but <laughs> the person who wrote it, I don't think actually put in any commas. I would kill to have the lung capacity of the person who wrote that sentence without any commas. Right. You know, okay. not everybody writes as if they're speaking, Kirk. That's only a special few who have that quirk. What? <laughs> I, I mean, I don't know. I'm with Deeply Kirk. inside <laughs> joke if you've ever read any of the things Kirk writes for political uh, goings-on. He has a particular literary style. I don't always write, you know, in my speaking style. If you were to check out my short story novella, Noncombatants, available on the iTunes and Kindle stores, oh, you'd find nice. that it is written in a pretty standard prose. Yeah, I cannot believe we've made it to this episode without thinking that we should be hawking your novella. It's <laughs> actually really impressive. It's five years old, and I finished the sequel three years ago, but I haven't published it. So I know, like... but still, we definitely <laughs> should have been using this as a platform way earlier than this. Guys, do we have a clip? I'll do a reading if we get to 500 um, followers on our Facebook page. All okay, right. Great. It might only be one sentence, but I will read it from Yeah, there. no, that's fine. I like that. <laughs> um, so, this episode opens with Ron letting us know that the previous owner of Lot 48 is, I think, suing the Pawnee government or threatening to sue the Pawnee government that... Um, they illegally seized the land for Lot 48. Um, I guess through eminent domain, although no one throws that that term in there, but I have to assume that's what happened here. Uh, I can see why they'd be mad. There was a lot of valuable rebar sticking out of the ground in very dangerous ways in that lot that you know they probably wanted to take ownership of. Right. Yeah, they never say, like, what company i mean you get the sense by the end of the episode that it's a company that owned that lot which is like what why would a company own that lot and not have done anything with it well didn't they say they were building like an apartment building there so those tend to be built by companies sure okay so. i guess i missed that part it's way back in season one so who cares uh, right <laughs> it was the recession thanks obama <laughs> Um, Obama so, hadn't even been elected yet, Jacob. Don't encourage that fallacy. 
Um, so Anne immediately offers her high school friend, Justin, who's a lawyer, who is the greatest guy ever, nah. according to Anne. Um, Justin Thoreau! Yes, I did. I have to tell you, I guess I had no idea what Justin Thoreau looks like, because until I looked this episode up online, I had no idea that was Justin Thoreau. Like, I none. Need, I need everybody to watch The Leftovers. It was a great show. He's great in it. He deserves all the accolades. Someday I will. But yeah, I, and I, sadly, I really only know him as Jennifer Aniston's husband. I didn't know he was in The Leftovers until you said that sentence. Okay. Well, 15 fair, seconds ago. F- full disclosure to our general listening audience who likes Parks and Rec. I would say that The Leftovers takes a slightly <laughs> darker view of the world than Parks and Rec does. Wait a minute. I'm shocked. This guy is... Whose husband? Jennifer Aniston's. So she and Brad Pitt didn't make it? I know. Yeah. Sad oh. news. Angelina Jolie. God, Damn. why do I know that? But well, Because you're alive. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I'm about 22 years behind in my copies of People magazine. I'm trying to catch up, so I guess that's a spoiler of something that's coming, huh? Uh, yeah, and then a long time later, there's going to be another spoiler because Brad and Angie don't make it either. So it's, it's tough out there. Wait, she leaves Billy Bob Thornton? <laughs> yeah, that, that vial of blood just seems weird in retrospect. In retrospect? In <laughs> retrospect? Guys, all right. All right, out of 1994. And, <laughs> um, so... The other thing that's happening is that Ron is getting a lot of visitors from members of the general public, which is a pretty hilarious compilation of people and their problems with the Parks Department, Um, which is, Ron just says, this is my hell, which I I understand. I made this in one of your pottery classes. It's terrible. (laughs) Why is the door in Ron's office that connects to the like public hallway unlocked right why doesn't he lock it right why isn't any of the other people in this office who are junior to him forced to take the cold calls i'm still not clear what tom does but it seems like tom should have this job or april or god forbid jerry yeah you would think that kind of any office in City Hall, kind of no matter what it is, would have some sort of frontline defense, right? Like every office has some kind of receptionist that is going to process members from the general public before they get to the head of the Parks and Recreation Department. <laughs> I'm a strong advocate for a very flat organizational structure. If the phone rings, whoever is available should just answer it, so long as it's not me. Yeah. <laughs> I saw that. Yes, didn't you? <laughs> um, I'm not. I'm super not. <laughs> if I had somebody to answer my phone, that would be incredible. It is. Actually. It is. <laughs> <laughs> you guys are the worst. It's male privilege. <laughs> yes, that's it, Jacob. It's because you're men. That's it. It has nothing to do with my job. Um. So... Anne shows up uh, with lunch for Leslie and Tom because it's unclear to me that Anne has a day job at this point. Well, she has to have a day job because she keeps bringing things from it into the office with her, like vials of blood and prescriptions. So, I 
I guess, but she has a lot of time on her hands. And I know that nurses work kind of crazy hours where they'll work three days of, you know, 12 hour shifts and then be off, but shouldn't she be sleeping or something like that? I think this hospital must be very close to City Hall, like on the same block or something. There's no other way to explain how much time she spends there. Yeah. But she brings lunch. Uh, Tom's lunch order deeply upsets me. Uh, A chicken Caesar salad with no dressing, no cheese, and no croutons. It's just it's it's lettuce and chicken. Just thinking about it right now makes me upset. (laughs) I I join in the Toby Ziegler view that there are two kinds of salads. Some of them have cheese. This isn't that kind. Yeah. Yeah. No, I'm I don't like salads to begin with. This kind of salad for lunch. I don't like how would you make it through the afternoon? I would just give up. Like I, that's just not a I can't do it. I love salads and Caesar salads are like my go-to salad, but I have to have the at least a little bit of the dressing and some croutons and it's also what know. makes it a Caesar salad. Like if it doesn't have Caesar right. dressing, it's romaine lettuce. It's not a Caesar salad. So, you know, Caesar salads are actually Mexican food and not Italian food. And I think it's just sort of a, an example of American cultural misunderstanding that every Italian restaurant in this country has been forced to add a Caesar salad to its yes. menu. Because people walk in, it's like, I want, you know, some fettuccine Alfredo and I need a good Italian salad to go with it. Give me that one named after Caesar. Right. Yeah, yeah I learned that from Anthony Bourdain, actually. Uh, you're right. Which I did not know, and I've never been to a Mexican restaurant that served a Caesar salad, which no. I think probably further proves your point. But they all also have fajitas, which is not a real thing either, right? Here is where I would say I can't eat Don't salad care. dressing because it, it tastes like burning, but uh, I'd Okay, be- we get it, Jacob. Oh. We, we get it, Jacob. You're just going to make a push here for us to get some special bourbon-based salad dressing for you. And then at the end of the night, we're going to look over and you're going to be drinking a thing of, like, I don't know, Thousand Island dressing. Like, right. oh, no, I just don't like the taste. Okay. A, I would definitely like salad more if you drenched it in bourbon. <laughs> but B? There was there okay. was no B. That was it. All right. So, so I think we should point out that we watched the special 27-minute long yes. version of this episode. And at the rate we're going right now, this is going to take four and a half hours to get nope. through. No, nope. we're going to speed through. Okay. So Leslie talks about how she misses Dave. She has a picture of him that she stole in her office. <laughs> which is pretty great. We're going to skip and- the sandwich named after her. I was, because it's disgusting. <laughs> Salami on pumpernickel with olive juice and extra iceberg lettuce. Yeah. It's the only salad on the board that wasn't named. I wish I liked it. Yeah, that's disgusting, and I was just going to move right along past it. Um, and so Anne offers to set her up, um, which Leslie takes her up on, because she slept with Mark once and spent five years getting over him. So at this rate, <laughs> it will take her 500 years to get over uh Dave, so so I'm trying to figure out: is she calculating that based upon the fact that one night with Mark led to five years of pining, or one sex act with Mark led to five years of pining? And if so, does that mean she had sex with Dave like thousands of times? Hmm. I'm thinking. I think it was a unit of time. 
Like it okay. was the the night versus the act. But yeah, I also questioned that math, but then I did not feel like doing it myself to feel like if it checked out. Yeah, a lot I of thinking about sex with Mark Brandanowitz. I'm, right. I'm, I'm already right. over it. Right. Um, I really enjoy the scene that's next where Jerry asks April to put paper in the printer and she just takes one page at a time and throws it in there. Um, Is this the first we've seen of Jerry being angry or not liking April? Yeah. Because they come back to this at the end of the episode. And... I don't know, like, he seems very hostile towards April the entire episode. I mean, they yeah, are Jerry's Jer the worst. <laughs> I, maybe. But regardless, they are literally opposite humans. I mean, Jerry's enthusiasm matches April's disregard for everything, pretty much, like, beat for beat. So I could see where they would not really get along. Okay. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. Uh, so Ron is looking for an assistant. He chooses Tom to try and find him an assistant. He needs to spend taxpayer money to save me from the taxpayers. <laughs> great line. Yeah. Yes. Definitely a great line. Um, and this is, again, this episode, I feel like even more than some others, was just like we were pinging back and forth between plot lines, and so my notes are literally like one sentence about this plot line and then another sentence about another plot line. Um, but Anne uh, brings in Justin, who is her lawyer friend, who I wrote before I realized it was Justin Thoreau. I was like, does this guy look a little bit like uh, Steve Miller? I, I think it's the hairline. I don't know, but it was... Not a Santa Monica fascist. Yeah. No. I don't like him. Either of them, actually. Yeah. This Justin guy or that Steve Miller guy. Steve Miller guy. Um, I don't even care what his name is. Yeah. I, I don't have a strong opinion about him in this episode. Like, he seems fine to me here. Um, <laughs> I do like the idea of fire in a can. That does yes. seem like something that would... It's an aerosol can with a lighter and a trigger. Um, and he then, and Anne, yeah, he and Anne kiss. Like, when she comes in, they, like, kiss as a yeah. greeting. That's weird. Yeah, it's very... So this whole thing... I mean, Anne... I usually don't have a ton of criticisms of Anne, but I do in this episode. Like, she's being ridiculous in this episode. I can't even get mad at Mark as much as I'd like to, because he is completely justified, I feel like, in every thing that he feels You're 100% correct, and yeah. I hate that. Yeah. No, yeah. I hate it too, but For I, us, it's, I hate I, it. Right. It, I can't get around it. She's terrible in a completely believable human kind of way. Sure. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Absolutely. You keep a couple of spare girlfriends on the line, Jacob, just in case things don't work out with wherever you are right now. I'm single right now. If I had backups, I'd, I'd be calling them in out of the bullpen. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I mean, this it's a real thing that happens, but Anne is pretending to be so unaware of it. Um, and I think that's kind of what's disingenuous, is that she isn't recognizing it or owning up to it not only in front of mark but in front of leslie like she's just being really obtuse about the situation um and 
that's actually my problem. It's not even that she's doing it, that she has some sort of crush on this guy and she's leaving him on the sidelines just in case they're ever single at the same time. My problem is that she's not admitting it, I think, is the, the issue. I'd agree with that. Also, this guy isn't worth it. Like, he is way too impressed with how interesting he thinks he is. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. Again, I don't have a huge problem with him, but... Uh, I mean, I think he's better than Mark. Okay, yes. He's also better <laughs> than cholera, okay? So it's like, woo, high bar. Um, so, April, April spends a lot of time sitting in the shoeshine stand talking to Andy in this episode. And I really like when she's like, I came in two hours late because Swim Fan was, you know, on. <laughs> That's a great movie, actually. It really is. Yeah. I've never seen it. But Erica Christensen's in it. I know, I know. Jacob and I probably like that movie for very different reasons. Erica Christensen's in it. <laughs> <laughs> um, also, like, we talked about this in some previous episodes, but April's side eye to the camera continues on in this episode in a pretty big way. Just about, like, every interaction she has with Andy and gauging his reaction to the fact that her internship is ending um which did lead me to a thought how old is andy supposed to be 29 seven <laughs> we, we we learned that he's 29 in the not too distant future i believe no spoilers okay well yes, Jacob. there's math involved because i just <laughs> she's 19 and Andy was most recently with Anne, who appears to be in her early 30s. So I just, it, not that someone in their late 20s or early 30s can't date a 19-year-old, but I am in my early 30s. If I started dating a 19-year-old, like, people would talk. It would be a, a thing, you know? I think especially Carter. Right, well, sure. There's precedent for this sort of thing. Like... Queen Amidala was, like, 11 years older than Anakin, and that turned out okay. And then she was, like, five years older in the next movie, and it just didn't make any goddamn sense. They're from different planets. They age differently. I don't yes, know. this is totally analogous to the situation, you guys. Andy also doesn't like sand. <laughs> it gets everywhere. I do... I do like when... Um, Anne is introducing Justin to Mark, and she, like, won't admit that Mark is her boyfriend. She's just like, oh, <laughs> this is Mark. He's the city planner. <laughs> it's kind of what Mark deserves, just in general. I've been on both sides of the uh, Justin and Mark interaction there, and neither one is pleasant. The He's the greatest guy in the world. He's just so great. Then how come I had never heard of him until I randomly met him in the world? It's a weird feeling. Sure. Yeah. I yeah. I know I'm asking you to have sympathy for Mark. No, it's okay. No, it is weird. I mean, I I've I I know people and have also myself been in various parts of this group of three. So I, I understand. It is weird for everyone. I just think it's funny the way that and does it to Mark. So. Can, we, can we talk about Leslie's line, though, that the guy she's looking for has the brains of George Clooney and the body of Joe Biden? <laughs> <laughs> it's, 
Is that our first Joe Biden reference? Oh, I think it might be. I think be. it might be, yes. Yeah, good call. Honestly, the, that combination can, can work in either direction. I, I think, think that, that's the joke. Yeah. <laughs> uh, uh, Simon so, Joe. Leslie has decided she is ready to start dating again. She's pretty clearly interested in Justin and Anne, again, being incredibly obtuse, refuses to set her up with Justin for really no good reason other than obviously Anne is into him. Um, but with this, this really great line where Leslie's like, well, I don't want to date a twin. I, I've been tricked. <laughs> Some of my best friends in college were twins, um, male twins, and they may or may not have pulled this off a time or two. Wow. Yeah. It's, they have not given me any permission to talk about them and probably don't listen to this podcast, so that's all I'll say about that, but I laughed a lot at the line. So, um, and instead sets Leslie up with Chris, an MRI technician, I assume at the hospital that she works for. And the MRI, can, yes, go ahead. Can I offer just a friendly amendment to this conversation? Absolutely. I'd like to move that we replace all instances of the word Chris with Job. Job! Job! Done. All right. Da -da 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 -da. Seconded. Um, so... And sets her up with Job, who is played by Will Arnett, who is, one, Amy Poehler's real-life husband at the time that this episode was filmed, and two... Oh, they don't make it either? I know. Oh. Yeah, this is a tough episode for you, Kirk. I'm sorry. Uh, plays Job on Arrested Development, and in fact is so Job-like in this episode that I, I have a note that says, I really can't distinguish them here. He's very he, much, yeah. He is so good at being charmingly obnoxious. Yes. Right? In, in, in Arrested Development, they lean a bit more on the charming. Here, they lean a bit more on the obnoxious. But, like, that is a space that he just inhabits perfectly. Yes. Um, and they are very funny together. I've, I've read Amy Poehler's book. I'm at peace with their divorce. It sounds like it was the right thing for her. She's happy now with Nick Kroll fine i'm over it but they're they're funny together and they're funny in this episode together so was this before or after she had her cameo on arrested development i guess it'd be after Significantly it's after, after. Yeah, yeah years after years yeah. after that was in 2004 and this is yeah. 2010 so yeah where, where they got married after an escalating series of dares right. she trained seals <laughs> one of them got loose um so they go on make this a one-handed joke i swear to god uh they go on this date and like, i really like when he he's like oh so you work with amusement parks and she's like no regular parks and he's like strike two <laughs> fair enough that was the whole go badgers no indiana hoosiers no badgers <laughs> like cannot allow her to also like her school's team right yeah so that's another thing is he's not just creepy he's actually kind of upsettingly dangerous like he's very controlling he kind of tries to gaslight her like he's really a terrible human but he does give her an mri he does 
Are, so, are we going to talk about the just all the things they get wrong about MRIs here? I've never actually had one. I've, I've been told I should have one, but I, I've been putting it off for a couple of months. Okay, I, I've had a couple, and my, my dad works as an MRI tech, so I spent a lot of time around MRI offices as a kid. Well then, deep dive, Jacob. What was wrong with it? Okay, one, like, when they are talking in the middle of her MRI, <laughs> that is like talking in the middle of a construction scene, because... The MRI is one of the loudest, most obnoxious things you can spend any amount of time in. Right, it's um, a bunch of supercharged magnets, like, clanging back and forth. Making the most obnoxious sounds in the world. Is it uh, like that sound that credit card readers with the chip make if you don't take the card out in time? Yeah, except louder and more jackhammery. And, and there's also just the... Uh, Leslie making a cell phone call from inside the MRI room. That cell phone would have been taken away from her before she was allowed to go in there. Or things would have lit on fire and that cell phone would have never been able to be used again. Again, it is a giant magnet. Um, yeah, no, they, they don't understand how MRIs work really at all on any level. No, they really kind of treat it like a magical x-ray machine, right? Yeah. But don't smile too much, because that sometimes comes across as AIDS. <laughs> Best line in this entire episode. The only thing that I actually, like, laughed out loud at was... It should be noted, MRIs cannot detect AIDS. Of course not! <laughs> I AIDS, also... isn't e AIDS isn't even actually a disease, it's a series of conditions that... Yeah. Um, yeah. I, I also liked when he was... She was breaking apart the bread to be like, look, you can see inside. And he's like, but what's inside that? It could be cheese. And I was like, <laughs> that is, I think, my life philosophy. It's like, I don't know. There could be cheese inside. Like, we have to see. It was the only time I felt any kinship towards him at all. So, Are you having your period? No. Why does that matter? Well, not for this. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, he's just the worst. Um... Why did Anne think that they would be a good match? Did we ever get any indication of that? Yeah. So the other note I have is, why is Anne even friends with this person? Like, I think she made pretty clear she wasn't. It seems like Anne suddenly got desperate after to deflect after she said no on Justin. She needed to present any other alternatives, so she seems to have literally picked the first guy she ran into at the hospital. I guess yeah. it's yeah I mean he's and part of this is that Will Arnett is very good at playing this kind of character but he is terrible <laughs> um and so then uh kind of over in our B plot Tom is interviewing assistants he's bad at it <laughs> oh, not only is he bad at it he is breaking a very large number of laws in how he is doing this interview process he's hitting on the females who are applying he asks somebody to cover up for crimes demands a kickback off a salary in order to give somebody a job and he does all of this in front of a documentary crew <laughs> i mean he's already admitted to his green card marriage and admitted to shooting someone so this is really just a long line in the list of crimes that tom has no problem committing on camera I guess. Like his idol, Blagojevich. 
<laughs> that was the one redeeming part of that storyline. That was a, uh, a, a really fast reference, too, because that had just happened a couple months before in the real world, right? Where Blagojevich made that comment. It I must think that was 09 and this is 10, but yeah, it was yeah. a turnaround between the writing and filming. They worked that in quick. Yeah. Um, so Mark and Anne finally have a conversation where Anne does sort of admit that she's saving Justin in case Mark dies tragically in a city planning accident. (laughs) (laughs) Not that she's envisioned that at all. Um, and would that be the table that he works at falling over on him? I don't know. Accidentally stabbing himself in the throat with one of those pencils. I guess he could like plan a building incorrectly and it could fall on him. It's very unlikely that he would be the one the building fell on, though. It's That's not true. like it's not like he's, he's a beef eater in England, right. where they have to go and live in the build. Like he has to go and live in a building that he has helped build in order to prove that it's safe for the final right. occupants to then right. reside there. Right. Yeah, I don't know. I'm not sure what a city planning accident would would look like. Look, there is a scene where he they one of the the many like little vignettes of it where. They cut away, and he says, sure, let's watch Marley and me with just a sense of hopelessness and defeat that I found really amusing. <laughs> um, yeah, it's it's all kind of sad because I think it's, it, it's pointing to a not great situation for Mark and Anne's relationship, but again... I- I unfortunately have to be He's on, on the Mark's, right side. Yeah, on Mark's side here. Like, she's... <laughs> you just can't do this as obviously as Anne is doing it. It's just not how the world works. And not to Mark Brindanowitz, who is, like, the king of trim in the city of Pawnee, Indiana, right? Right, right. Seriously. I mean, he's just... He's Dexart's right-hand man. <laughs> Ew. That's actually kind of gross, and I wish I hadn't said that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Leave it in. <laughs> of course. <laughs> However, uh, if Mark and Anne enjoyed the ending of Marley and Me, I'd like to recommend that they watch A Dog's Purpose, which is basically the ending of Marley and Me like five times over. So it's. I have never watched either of those movies. I will not watch either of those movies as I am still scarred from uh, Homeward Bound. So I don't think any of those things are for me. In their defense, they said bound. They didn't say gets there. Spoiler alert. Uh, so the next morning, Leslie comes into work. Um, all she has to show for her date is a $2,000 MRI. <laughs> First of all, how does he bill her for right, that without right. getting in, getting fired, right? Right, exactly. And, like, does her insurance cover it? I don't know. There's a lot of questions. <laughs> Obamacare hadn't been passed yet, so who knows. Um, Just a few weeks away at this point. Yeah, so. I guess that's true. Thanks, Obama. Uh, so then Justin shows up um, to kind of go over his plan that he's come up to fight these previous owners of Lot 48. He drops the F-bomb, frivolous. I don't know. It's like really nerdy lawyer humor <laughs> that for once they actually kind of got right and I laughed. So very good. The end. I, I um, and 
Then I do like that Mark goes to talk to Andy and they kind of are able to bond about their hatred of Justin because it turns out Anne has been doing this to all of her boyfriends, not just Mark. Yep, she comes across terribly in this episode. Yeah. Um, Even Andy stands up for Mark. Yeah, and I mean, and Andy, like, to his credit, he has kind of an emotionally mature scene here. I mean, it's interspersed with some not great moments, but he goes and finds Anne and says, you know, when you would say stuff like that, it I didn't feel important. And, and that's, a, that's an emotionally mature thing for Andy to be able to vocalize really for anybody to be able to vocalize to Anne. So, I don't know. <laughs> Not great, Anne. If Andy is able to come across as the more mature one in the relationship. We're about to beat somebody a deeply emotionally mature, though. So, I would like to point out before we get to this, that while Chris did not find a tumor... On Leslie's MRI, the writers found a tumor and inserted it into the show in the form of this obnoxious and awful character that everyone but me loves. Look, I do not at all love Jean Ralphio, but I feel Jean Ralphio deployed in the correct amount can be an entertaining spice to the show. Yeah, okay, I think that's how that. I feel too. Like I. I agree. Too much John Ralphio can be too much John Ralphio. This was the right amount of John Ralphio. Yeah. I, I would agree, yes. Yeah, this isn't I, so bad. Yeah. It's like a left-handed specialist on a baseball team. You call him in for one batter and get him the hell out of there. Definitely. Yep. Uh, but so, John Ralphio shows up. Tom has found him to come be Ron's assistant. He's got access to the Illis clubs. Be on you 24-7. <laughs> He's he's so the anti Ron. <laughs> Did Tom even talk to him about what kind of assistant Ron would want to have? Of course not. <laughs> Tom only thinks about what Tom would want to have and applies that to everyone. Um I was excited to see John Ralphio. I, I wrote over two spaces on my notepad, John Ralphio. I'm I'm excited he's with us now. I think that he he brings some stuff to Parks and Rec. Um, I did type his name in in all caps. Yeah. Preceded by the words "Oh fuck," but still, <laughs> I acknowledge that he arrived in this episode. Yeah. I I want to punch you in the face so much right now. <laughs> <laughs> um. But, but so then they, they do the right thing, right? Right. Right. April. Yes. So April has a the very sweet moment where she helps Andy sell CDs and he's like, oh, it's just very cute between all of them. And as soon as he's like, you should be around more. Or I'm going to miss you or whatever. She immediately goes running to Ron to be his assistant so that she can stay in the parks department and in our lives forever. Um, and of course, she's perfect because she just slams the door in everyone's face. and. Amazing. Also, it's great that they hired the intern. Not enough interns actually get hired on to actual That's... positions in the departments that they work in. We try to do it in our office. We've done it a couple of times. And I guess it's kind of hard in a public defender's office unless your interns happen to already have law degrees. But Yeah, I mean, so most of them 
do. We have both. We have law clerks who are in law school, and then we have interns who want to go to law school, and lots of law clerks apply at least statewide and, you know, go to work somewhere in our organization. So, yeah, we really try and do that. So I agree. I think it's good to show that an internship is not just, you know, something to throw on your resume and walk away from. That you can get hired. Now, I don't know how, is Anne going to college? Like, how is she going to work full-time and go to school? There are some unanswered questions here, but whatever. Yep. Happy to see her get hired. <laughs> yeah. She's going to be the perfect assistant. I, I wish I had April as my assistant. Do, do you, Jacob? Do you? Because then it's creepy. Oh, yeah. If you I, start wish I, had a- I wish April was the assistant of somebody I deeply respected. There you go. I think that I think that Jacob's uh, political career starting in the field department just shone through a bit there. (laughs) Oh wow, that was a deep, specific, and accurate cut. Yeah. (laughs) Okay, that stays in. So eventually, Anne, after kind of everyone is like, hey, Anne, you're the fucking worst, realizes that, and she does the right thing, and sets Justin and Leslie up, and apologizes to Mark, um, which, I mean, it's it's good, it's, it's the way a sitcom wraps up these sort of things, but... Anne has clearly had these feelings for this guy for, like, 15 years. Is she really just overnight being like, well, Mark Brandanowitz is so important to me that he's right. I'll just stop having feelings for this person. Like, I don't know. Does she ever consider him for her project later in the show? Oh, I don't think so. Not that I can remember. That is a ball dropped here. Yes. He must have died in a city planning accident. (laughs) Agreed. Because you would think that would come back up. Um, so and Leslie and kind of almost season one Leslie fashion, because it's a very Michael Scott line, they go on this date and she's like, I'm happy to be back on the horse. And this horse is a lawyer and can't wait to ride this horse later. And it's like, uh, OK, guys, we get it. I like it. it. I thought it was I cute. Know. Yeah, I, it's fine. I thought it was funny. It's fine. Season it's funny. one, Leslie would have said that to him, not. Agreed. Yes. To the camera and then been like, take it back. Yeah. 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 I agree. So then we get the, 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 the closing where Jerry is very visibly unhappy that April has been hired to, to be Ron's assistant. And she won't let him get past her to talk to Ron about his displeasure. And this is sort of going back to this really previously unfounded anger that jerry seems to have towards april yeah i i really had not seen it prior to this episode and it's also even though as i said they're they're total opposites it's not in jerry's character to dislike somebody or work to harm someone you know so the one thing I was trying to sort of hang a hat on here for this scene was, did they move Jerry to a different desk to give April the desk next to Ron's office? Was that Jerry's desk before this? I don't know. Because he says he wants to complain about the size of his desk when it's pretty obvious he wants to complain about April. April. Yeah, I don't know. Kind of a weird ending to the episode. 
Yeah, it is a little bit. I don't, I feel, I don't know. I'm having a hard time picturing That's the layout. That's always where I see her, but that may be me reading later seasons back on. Yeah. And there is, remember when Mark comes to talk to Jerry about his adopted mother having a marijuana? Yeah, he was at that desk. He was at that desk. I can visualize that scene really specifically. Huh. Maybe. Maybe. Poor Jerry. Um, all right, did we miss anything? Any good lines? Anything we didn't talk about? Well, I would like to talk about the job posting that Ron oh, yeah. uh, prepared for the position that he was seeking to hire someone for. Job, assistant to a man, low pay, apply at Parks Department. That's fine. That's a little more terse than my, most of my job postings. But I want to give him some bonus points for not putting two spaces after the periods in his posting. That is typographically correct. But then I want to take those bonus points back because he used Courier, literally the only font that you can find on your computer when you actually are supposed to use two spaces after periods. So, Yeah, in all legal writing, technically, you have to use two spaces after periods. Now, I haven't done that since law school because in the real world, no one gives a shit about that. But yeah, you have to use Courier and two spaces when you're doing academic legal writing i don't think even if you use courier do you have to do it in yes. something like this uh, yeah well, so, so, so typographically yes courier is a monospace font so you should put two spaces after the period all the other proportional fonts on your computer already have extra space built into the period character so you don't need to have you ever seen the tv show the middle no Okay, I'm not recommending that you do, but there's a younger character who is part of a font club in high school, and they had discussions like that. That was what the font club did, was meet and have those discussions. So. I'm really sad there wasn't a font club in my high school. <laughs> Maybe you Ugh. could go back and found one, and like be the... the don't go back to high school. The I academic survivor. Yeah, how the hell am I going to go back to high school? I don't know. You could be like an academic advisor. Find a school around here. Start a font club. Okay, I'll, I'll, I'll talk to our many friends on the school board and see if there's an interest in that. Okay, I like it. I think it's a good idea. And then finally, when Chris finds a, a smudge on the MRI that turns out to be nothing, uh, he talks about how Leslie just dodged a bullet and says, imagine if you had to spend the rest of your life sipping a steak through a straw. How would that work? You how would, would you... like puree it in a food processor? Oh, that's weird. Yeah, it's like baby food. It's like you can take, like, beef stew and completely puree it and feed it to babies. I would assume it would be the same thing. Sounds better than a salad. <laughs> so long as the, So long as the pureed steak is medium rare and not well done. And no ketchup. Absolutely not. Um, yeah, I have tasted what that tastes like, and it's not that great, I have to tell you. <laughs> <laughs> okay, maybe maybe this would be one case where ketchup was called for. Then. Yeah, you want some salt in there. It's a big problem with baby food. Not enough salt yeah. for an adult palate. Um, <laughs> <laughs> or blow torches, apparently. <laughs> Those things will blow your hand off. Be careful. All right. Well. For more baby food recipes, you can contact us at facebook.com slash icetownclowns. You can email us, icetownclowns at gmail.com. 
You can tweet at us at IcetownClownPod or go to our website, www.icetownclowns.com. Next week, we'll be reviewing the episode Leslie's House, the 14th episode of the second season of Parks and Recreation. So please check that out before you come by here. And uh, while you're watching that episode, if you can think of any friends who might like it, invite them over to watch it with you. Tell them about our podcast, rate us on iTunes, and help us grow our audience. Yay! You've been listening to Ice Town Clowns, a podcast about parks and recreation that we are at the end of. And that end is now. I'm going to go fondle my sweaters. (laughs) Ha, 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 ha.